Flyover Footy. We got a special guest here today, one that I wasn't sure I'd have a chance to talk to once I quit the uh, USL show, but here we are. Devin Kerman, how's it going? Dude, you think you quit the USL show and you're just going to disappear off the friends list? You have the cell phone number, dude. I do. And I bug it as much as I can. Bring it. You're, I actually answer you. You actually do. <laughs> I even call you and I'm like, yo, let's talk about something. Don't tell anybody. It's just between you and I, but this is important. And you're like, okay, cool. <laughs> it's so man. And those are my favorite conversations. It's really fun to Same. kind of talk about the whole thing. And, and we get to give little glimpses of it here when we do these podcasts. So here we are. Dude, St. Louis rules the world, huh? I mean, y'all went <laughs> y'all went hard on St. Louis for a minute there, and it, it really made my day. It, it like it felt so good to hear guys talk about St. Louis in that way because I didn't think it was going to happen. I didn't think anyone was going to talk about it. Yeah, but I don't. I mean, honestly, and if we're starting off this way, that's totally fine with yeah, me. I don't think right I don't think people realize what. St. Louis soccer is it's so many different levels to mm-hmm. this country. Like we, we talked about it the other night on, or I should say the other afternoon on um, MLS soccer.com covering the 2022 MLS super draft presented by Adidas. See, I've got the sponsor read in there. Well done, pal. <laughs> well trained. Um, yeah. But like, I mean, dude, this is a team that won, they won all of their titles from 59 to 73, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and that should be 10, 10 titles. Is that right? Total? I think. Yeah. Because next closest is Indiana with eight. And so everybody looks around the country and it's like, Oh, collegially it's, Oh my God, it's Indiana. Right. And it's the university of Virginia and it's all these schools, but like St. Louis is the one who sent the bar and they set the bar mm-hmm. at a time when like soccer was that real first explosion, right. In the United States. And there are so many people now that are, that come from is what I should say a St. Louis soccer background that are relevant. You know, it's, it's the youth ranks, it's MLS, it's collegiate, it's national team. I mean, Christ Taylor Twelman's family is they're the first family of St. Louis. Right. And you know, it's him and his father and his uncle and everybody that played throughout, um, throughout their careers. And they all came from St. Louis and it's almost a forgotten son if you will. And I kind of, that's kind of what was my point the other day was like, it was one of two things. It was number one with all due respect, because of course, like when my kids coming up, like, yeah, I'd love them to play at UVA or go play for Carlos at North Carolina. Right. Like those are phenomenal schools and they're great coaches, but whether it's Kevin Kalish at St. Louis, Chris Grassy at Marshall, like there are schools that maybe don't carry the same stigma that blue chip thought process about it that turn out some great products, right? I mean, I said it on the, on the draft the other day, that youth team for St. Louis is not even fair. It's a video game. Honestly, I mean, Kip Keller, Josh Sargent, Jack Lynn, Daniel Muni, Logan Poncho, Aiden Stanley, AJ Palazzolo. Like that's not fair. I will have to say before we go any further, there is one team better, by the way, and okay. I got to, I got to bring it up. I got to get it out there because <laughs> it was a graphic of mine that I put together for the college cup that we never got to run. And I was so pissed about it, but here's why the only better youth team that I know of in its entirety was this, they won back-to-back U19 DA national titles in 2018 and 2019 sit down for this one. Okay. Will Sands, James Sands, 
Dante Polvara, Joe Scally, Gio Reyna, Justin Hack, Andres Jason, Nico Benalcazar, Velko Petkovic, Jonathan Jimenez, <laughs> Alex Rando, Kai Lammers, Victor Souza, Tavon Gray. What the actual you know what? I know. I remember that team and thinking how good they were. Cause I remember Scott Gallagher or St. Louis FC, whatever they were named at the time, playing that team in the U19 yeah. in the cup and they ended up winning, but it, it was pretty close between those teams. They were in uh, the same group. Yeah. Um, but the fact that we were even in those games, cause I knew that team was so good was I was impressed with St. Louis, you know, it's but you're right. Fair, That's better. Dude. Like yeah. it's, you've got, you know, ACC midfielders of the year, big, big East midfielders of the year. U.S. men's national team players, Borussia Dortmund, Borussia Mönchengladbach, Georgetown, Wake Forest, Pitt, UNC, Penn, BC, like the worst player the on that NYC. Yeah. The worst player on that NYCFC team is a fully scholarship D1 athlete. It's <laughs> dumb. It's so dumb. But dude, again, so just kind of like to, to put a, a bow on everything. I, I don't think the national landscape truly understands the what St. Louis means to this country soccer wise. And, and especially from, from a youth standpoint, like there's a tremendous amount of talent. Like if you ask any coaches around the country to name like the top 10 programs, Scott Gallagher will always be in there. And now that's going to be absorbed by St. Louis and all that stuff. But Scott Gallagher, I mean, I can remember playing them when I was nine, 10 years old and they're still relevant today. It's because they're incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, maybe we should jump into the weeds. Let's go straight down into the weeds, Devin, because I do think the college landscape's changing. I'm not sure that's something you guys talked about, and I'm not sure I'm right in that. But, um, you know, I would say for a long time, the Super Draft was getting more and more useless, and I think it was dying. And I do feel like it's been a bit revitalized by um, some of these college kids coming through that aren't just from international places, like now domestic soccer players that are going through college are actually getting good experience and being super worthwhile. I think it's a new thing, like a resurgence kind of a thing of the domestic player going through college and doing well in MLS. And now we're seeing moving on to Europe suddenly, which I never thought I'd see at all. Do you feel that way? Or how do you feel about the college landscape? I do. There's so much to kind of take into that, right? Because there's so many moving pieces. I, I would say the first part of it is yes, that I agree with you that the draft didn't become obsolete, but you got out of it what you wanted. And a lot of people didn't want that much out of it. You know, there was a transition within MLS in general. And I would say within this country where we determined in our own minds that you had to play internationally, like you had to bring international players in. Right. So, so, you know, it's, you know, FC Dallas has to get the league MX player, right. Or, you know, NYCFC has to get the player from Europe or, or whatever it is. And I'm just using two clubs as an example, but that went on in a broad scheme of things across every team domestically in MLS for the better portion of like eight to 10 years. And yeah. so, you know, the, the mid two thousands to the mid 20 teens, that's what you saw a lot of where the only players you did see getting regular looks were the guys from UNC and, and Virginia and Duke and, you know, all the massive name schools. If you wake forest, of course, and, and all the big name schools. So the guys that were crushing it at a Marshall or, um, you know, and, and obviously Marshall wasn't relevant in 2006 or 2007, but I'm painting a picture here because that is the relevance now. So those guys weren't getting opportunities. And so they bounce around USL or they do what I did. They went to Europe and play second, third, fourth divisions. Right. Cause mm -hmm. like the talent was understood and respected there. So I think a couple of things happened. 
Number one, the coaching got better nationwide from, from MLS all the way down to the U nines. Like coaching has gotten better. I'll give it that. Number two, the guys that were becoming the more successful coaches within MLS historically, they're usually Americans and they're Americans that have a college background that came up through it. Right. And they understand like, okay, yeah, I was an assistant for this coach and that coach, but like, I'm the guy now. And I understand that there's plenty of talent around this country. And you could say, well, look at the DA because the DA is what started that right. DA started in 2006 or seven or eight, something like that. Yeah. Um, so that then changes the talent level within this country. And that's not going to happen overnight. I can remember my generation, I'm born in 1984. And, you know, when I was coming up as a youth, like mid, mid nineties, late nineties, there was all of these reports put out that like the 2010 world cup is where we were going to showcase ourselves. Like that's our generation. Um, in the grand scheme of things, that's where we were going to maintain our most relevance. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny because outside of was the O2 team, right outside of O2, like, that was probably our best performance when we lost to Ghana in the round of 16. Yeah. Um, cause it was quarterfinals in 2002. And so you kind of got everything just kind of headed in the right direction. And then because you had such a resurgence of talent in so many different areas, because it just, it went from people that don't know the youth soccer in this country it's like a couple teams in each state. And that's basically it. Like there's always one, there's always like a team that's going to poke its hat out. And it'll be good for like a year or two, but like traditionally there's like a couple of clubs that dominate the state for its entirety. You know, like I came from Omaha and then I went to Florida. So like whether it was West Omaha soccer club, which got absorbed and I can't remember the new name now to Florida in Florida. I played for a club that was called team Boca team Boca was awesome. But like my club's relevance was like six years. When I say relevance, I'm talking about generations, like mm. a black watch in the Tampa area, like black watch and countryside and Clearwater. They have been around for 30 years. You know, those, those teams have won not black watch, but countryside and Clearwater, they have won national titles. And for a long period of time, this actually might still ring true. Clearwater was actually the last Florida program at the U 19 or U 18 level to win the national title. I think Weston might've crept in now, but you get my picture. So that's what it was in Florida, right? So it's Scott Gallagher in St. Louis. It was the Dallas Texans in, in Dallas. Um, you know, solar is a team that's come out the, you know, over the past 15 years or so, but like doubt the Texans were always the team. Charlotte soccer, which became, it was Charlotte blue and Charlotte white. And now it's Charlotte soccer Academy and they're being absorbed by Charlotte FC. Like that was their thing. Um, there are so many around that San Diego surf, the nomads, like every state had like one or two, but with the DA, what ended up happening was, is you had all of those teams that still maintain the relevance, but then you had MLS teams coming in, getting their talent as well. So yeah. there, there was this paradigm shift where, well, not everybody was going to that club, but not everybody was going to MLS. And then ECNL started going and the U S youth national, you know, like there were so many different competitive leagues at a really high levels that it just got it got so absorbed and like flooded with talent, which is a great thing that we started developing these kids all over the place. So mm-hmm. you, you have so much talent. Not everybody can go to Duke or wake or UCLA, right. Or, or whatever school you want to SMU. And so, so many programs around the country started to get these kids. And then also you talk about it changing 
And I understand this is a lot of information to digest, but it's just because there is so much going on. It's not just your blue chip athletes that win these national championships anymore either, because of the way that it is situated and there is so much talent and the, and the international rules like that, that Marshall team, they, they were all older and they were all international players. You used to see that historically through like D2 and NAIA and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. But now it's filtering through the D1 ranks because, and the coaches will admit this, all those top tier programs, they can't go get those kids because they're so talented. They're going pro, mm-hmm. right? Like they're, they're signing, you know, I, I know MLS next pro is coming in now, but they're signing to a USL championship team, you know, at the second team within MLS, or they're signing a first team contract and trying to make it to MLS and then getting loaned out or what have you. So there are so many different options and so many different routes and so many different ways to do it. And then the 21st century model, by the way, is getting voted on mm-hmm. in the spring where they're going to split up the college season. And most likely in the fall of 2023, we're going to have a fall and spring season, which is going to change it even more. So there's just so many parts to it, man, that it's a very good problem to have in my opinion. And I think what you'll see is it's only going to continue to increase the level because there are so many different options. Yeah. And it's really cool to see different kinds of teams. It used to be college soccer was all kind of one thing and, and, and it's really looking different. And that's kind of, you know, talking about slew, I didn't watch them most of the season, Cause I kind of, to be honest, I was bored, bored in, in past seasons because of what I just said, but the end of the season, I started watching their games and SLU just doesn't look like every other college team that I used to consider the stereotypical college team. Um, you know, their movement off the ball and the way they played was really beautiful at the end. You know, it wasn't like Tiki Taka, but it was fast and it was, you know, they were moving like crazy. They were pressing and using different ways to win games. And Um, you know, I just found it interesting that you mentioned Marshall and that international method, and that's something that SLU really bought into for a long time on the the down years since the seventies. I think eventually they thought, well, we need to play the college game the way everyone else is winning it and go after these international players and play the college type game. Well, at some point they got Kevin Kalish and maybe we can pivot to him too at some point, but, um, a guy that came from Scott Gallagher that is using Scott Gallagher players. We've developed a new pipeline, a new, a new way to bring a player up, which is kind of what you just touched on. So it's interesting to see the talent level really rise. And it, and it feels like this is something St. Louis should have done forever ago. Um, And maybe they tried it unsuccessfully. I'm not sure, but it sure is working right now, isn't it? 100%. And it's funny because we, we talked about that team, right? Think about all the talent on that team, but think about all the talent that left. Yeah. right. Whether it was Indiana or going pro and exactly so you're, you're going to have to find ways to maintain that talent. I, I don't necessarily think that every town has to go get a hometown kid, right? You know, Kevin Kalish is playing at his alma mater. He started at UConn. He's from Missouri. I can't remember where though. Um, I should, I should, I should know that off the top he's of my told head. Me, I forget. Yeah. So he's from Missouri, but he actually went to Yukon and then transferred back to St. Louis. I forget. Um, that. yeah. And then after that, you know, just lower division, if you will, I know he played a bunch of indoor, um, mm-hmm. with, uh, I know St. Louis ambush is one of the teams. I can't remember the other team, but he played a bunch of indoor for a couple of years. And, and then he just started bouncing around, like basically went directly from school as a player, even though he was playing pro as an indoor player, you know, those, those gigs didn't pay very well back then. Yeah. And so he was an assistant for a long period of time. And then, you know, he was at SIU for like 14 or 15 years as an assistant. And then the head coach, and he was a head coach for six seasons. And then he came to, to St. Louis cause he was at SIU Edwardsville. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, he, he just understood that like these kids don't need to leave. And so what, why do kids leave? Right. Like if, if you have such a tremendous youth program, why are they leaving? Well, they're leaving because the team wasn't good. Mm. Why was the team not good? There are a couple of reasons for that. Coaching is number one, of course, because you need to have the, the head coach that's got its relevance and, you know, you have to buy into that. I totally get that facilities weren't that great. At least from what I was told, I've never been to the, to the facilities itself, but I'm, I'm just going by word of mouth, like what coaches have said to me and stuff. Mm. So when you start to combine all of those things, you know, it's the uniforms, it's the facilities, like no offense, if I'm a college kid, like I'm not trying to go to school at St. Louis, <laughs> so yeah, like, yeah, you know, like I want to go hang out on the beach or I want to go skiing. Like I don't want to go out in the wilderness and hang out for the most part. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. And I'm saying that <laughs> so you have to, you have to make it sexy and cool. So like the three things aforementioned are what make college soccer sexy and cool, right? Winning cool uniforms, the culture, like just cause you come in and maybe you don't have the most glamorous town to hang out in. I'm not saying that it's not glamorous. I'm saying that's a subjective thought process, right? Mm -hmm. How do you make that cool and relevant to those kids? And so the community itself already started to become relevant because RIP, like you had St. Louis and, and USL championship, right? Like that was awesome. And so that was super fun. And then sporting Kansas city, like it's not that far. Right. And like, there are things in the circumference that started to make it. And when I say start, I'm, I'm talking over a decade mm-hmm. that start to make it cool for these kids to go there. And then you just get the right guy. And Kevin Kalish comes in. You talked about his background he's born, bred, raised, coached, understands fully what Scott Gallagher is. And you just plant a seed. Like you can, he's been there for five years now, five years ago, his college freshmen were just in middle school. <laughs> so it's, it seems like, it seems like such a stretch be like that kid was a middle schooler. That's only five years ago. Yeah. Like the, the kid was a, in seventh grade. His freshmen were five years or five years ago. His freshmen were in seventh grade. So like you just plant the seed and figure out how to do it. And Mm -hmm. he's done it, man. I I do like the fact what you talked about at the beginning, by the way, because they use so many different looks, right? Like they didn't full out press. They didn't sit deep. That team could kind of do everything. Felt like they they, they, they had a talent too, right? Like they could counter because of Isaiah, you know, you, you could absorb so much because of chase and because of Kip and, and Patrick Schulte and sorry, I'm I'm only using first names just like I know them. Right. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, when you have that much talent, like you can get guys to buy into it and like, you don't have to have the same guy being the guy every single game. Yeah. Yeah. And that was definitely uh, something we noticed Uh, that's, and that's how they beat Duke too is, you know, the first half was one style of soccer and then it totally changed in the second half. I thought that was really fun, really fun to watch. Um, but yeah, let's, let's dig into these names. First of all, let's talk about this. Uh, this is your first year at the desk for MLS super draft. I know you said that you did the interviews last year. I'd forgotten that. Um, but congrats, man. Like this is a big deal that you got to be at the desk and I think you very much, uh, earned it and very much served it well this year. And I'm curious, I'm going to cut you off just because I'm really also curious about you always had so much you could say on every single player and, and, and circumstance, like how much of your research did you actually use and how much did you not use? It's a very good question. Um, so I would say that in terms of it's two parts, it's the MLS teams and it's the players. So in terms of MLS, I used a lot of it because when I primarily watch MLS, mm-hmm. it's for a couple of reasons. One, 
it's a full on scouting for an upcoming game. Like when I was doing open cup or the random MLS game that I get to call, right. Whether it be a world feed or, or something. So I'm usually like in a scouting mode. So I don't know the thick storylines usually, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I cover college and USL and, and CONCACAF mm-hmm. stuff so much, but like, you know, I know all the storylines for CONCACAF better than I do MLS, which mm-hmm. is one and the same because they're in CONCACAF. Right. But like, I'm talking CONCACAF champions league, Scotiabank yeah. CONCACAF champions league. So it's much more difficult for me from a mental standpoint to spout off some of the historic things or what the recent trends are now playing in tactical breakdowns. That's a lot easier for me. That's my bread and butter. Cause I can mm-hmm. watch it. I pick it up right away. So I used a lot on the MLS side for, if you actually look at the video, like you'll see me peek down and, and looking yeah. at those signs of things. And to be fair, like, I think people might look at it and go, rightfully so they're like, Oh, you know, he did a lot of research and stuff. The reason I do that is because I want to maintain the respect from the coaches and the scouts and all that stuff. So Mm. when I'm going on air, yes, I want to, I want the fans to know that I know, but more importantly to me with all due respect, guys, like I need these coaches to understand my credibility and maintain that credibility. So like, I need to know the stats and you know, what's been going on and the players relevance and all that kind of stuff and transactions. And if I don't do the work, I'm going to look like an idiot. So because the fan bases will call you out on it. There's some motivation um, there. That makes sense. Yeah, bingo. Now <laughs> on the player side, I would probably say that I probably only used about 40% of it, 30 or 40% of it. Mm. Um, a couple of reasons. One, a lot of those guys I covered so much this year. So, you know, all three players from Notre Dame, you, you mentioned Jacqueline, Jacqueline, Mo Omar and um, Philip Quinton. They all got drafted. I called like six or seven Notre Dame games this year. Yeah. You know, and I know they, they probably end up playing like 20, but like 40% of their games I called. That's nuts. Like there are teams in, in USL that I don't call that many games for in a whole season. Right. Um, the guys that I leaned on were guys that I didn't call games on that. I then went back and watched a video on. Yeah. So, um, Lucas Bartlett, he's a great example. The kid from St. John's. The only going into the draft, the only game that I had watched of St. John's prior to my, my preparation for the draft process was, was either their first or second game of the season. They played Clemson. Hmm. When I watched that game, I actually had it on live, but there were like four other games going on. So I was kind of just glancing when I prepped that game, I was calling Clemson like their eighth or ninth game of the season when they got into ACC play. And I went back and watched that. I watched a bunch of games, but that was the first game that I watched Mm. and, and I broke the game down, but here's the funniest thing. If I don't watch a a team regularly, I'm not usually breaking down a player. I'm breaking down a team and then I see where the trends lie. So, you know, for when I went and watched that game for basically I was focused on Clemson. I knew what St. John's was playing. I knew what they look like. I knew how they built. I couldn't tell you a lot of specifics about the individuals because I was more focused on trying to break down Clemson. So Mm -hmm. I looked at, you know, where were the matchups that were isolated the best for Clemson? Where did Clemson get exploited the most? Like, where did they, where did they succeed? Where did they struggle? So I actually went back and watched the game a third time when I use that watch term lightly, because I went back and I broke down the players and I broke down Lucas Bartlett and then saw what he was like coming off the back line and you know, what the goalkeeper was like. And so the guys that I didn't regularly cover during the college season, meaning calling multiple games is who I leaned on the most. So, you know, for all the guys from big 10 and ACC, I see them so much. I just don't the mid majors and this isn't a knock on them. I just don't see them 
you know, they're not on, you know, I, I don't cover those conferences. Usually it's not that it's not by choice. You know, Jared Embick at Akron, I was talking to him about, he's like, dude, what do I got to do to get you to call one of my games? I'm like, bro, put me on a plane, fly me out. I'm mm-hmm. I'll, I'll call your games. I'm in for it. But ESPN, <laughs> you know, their national coverage is usually the bigger names, right? It's, it's Indiana and Michigan and Michigan state. And then you move into ACC and it's Notre Dame and North Carolina mm-hmm. and UVA. And so those teams don't usually get as much coverage. So I just don't cover them as much. I wish I did because I would love to see St. St. Louis and SMU UCLA. Like I would love to see all those schools more. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, the, the talent is spreading. So yeah, it's, but there's so much to see. So it, it's a bit of a, a catch 22 speaking of um, where it's being streamed. I don't know if you want to talk about this on air and I didn't mention it till just now. Yeah. Um, Washington versus slew. Did you watch that one? I did. What did you uh, think about that game in the field? Of course, St. Louisans are going to want to ask. Well, to be fair, all the, all the Washington guys, including Jamie Clark, their coach, who's one of the best humans I know, by the way, good. Jamie Clark is freaking awesome. I loved him. Like you should read our, he was texting me during the draft about a player and we're going back and forth. I'm off camera and we're having a good laugh. <laughs> and, um, look, that field did everybody a disservice, including Washington. Like they don't want to play on that man. Like it was a reseed problem. And then the weather got in the way. And then all of a sudden it's like playing in mud, right? Like that was probably, that was probably one of my biggest, if not biggest frustrations about like the play this year was that game because although Washington won, like the product from both teams wasn't very good. And it was because of the field, right? Right. They That's were not fighting the way either one of them wanted to go. No, out. not at all. You know, put them, put them on a field that has good grass, forget the size for a second. Cause that's a whole nother conversation, but just put them on a field. That's got a good pitch and, and let them play and adjust to each other. And we couldn't really see a lot of that. Yeah. That was frustrating to me. Um, St. Louis was a team by the way that, and I mentioned this to Kevin that I, I talked about them all season long. Like uh, it was the rankings would always come out and I never felt like they got their, their credit. Um, Tulsa was another one that I really liked. I didn't feel like they got their credit either. And so like the committee always had them ranked all over the place and Mm -hmm. like the coaches poll. Well, yeah, but mine, mine, like the coaches poll later in the year, got it. The guys early on to kind of like, kind of like what I just mentioned, how they don't see it. Like the guys in the big 10 aren't watching the pack. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, they, they call, they have a game at seven o'clock at night. They get done by the time they get home from their families. Like you have a beer or a glass of wine, or even just sitting there. Like it's 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. They're not trying to flip on UCLA, Stanford or Washington, Oregon state at, at 1130 at night. You know, like right. I, I totally get that. You know how much I work, man. Like you think the last thing I want to do is turn on game at midnight. No, not by choice. Um, but like, as the year got on word spreads fast in this industry and in this community. And so like people started to figure out like, Hey, the pack's got some teams this year, right? Like, no, it's not Jeremy Gunn and Stanford, but those boys can play the mid majors, the resurgences of St. Louis. Like they started to get the respect. So I was really high on Tulsa and St. Louis for a long period of time, but going back to it, I felt bad for St. Louis in that game. Washington felt bad for St. Louis in that game. Those words came out of, out of Jamie Clark's mouth saying like, I felt terrible because that's not the product that we wanted to show to the country yet alone to St. Louis and the field. Cause remember like everybody's going to remember that game. is just like, they played on mud basically. Yeah. They don't want to do that, man. That's all really cool stuff to hear. So thanks for that. Um, 
let's get, uh, we've been climbing out of the weeds slowly because we got down deep into them, but uh, let's climb all the way out. And we'll talk about all these uh, super draft picks that involve a St. Louis of St. Louis of some sort. And uh, we'll get out of here. Let's start with Isaiah Parker to FC Dallas. This is not the person we thought was going to go first from SLU this year, <laughs> but it makes sense. So, well, Kip goes, Kip goes first. No, he doesn't. Isaiah Parker to Dallas was the fourth pick, second pick, third when, pick. When, 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 am I forgetting what order everybody got drafted in now? I got to pick it. I got to look it up now. Hang on. Now I'm confused. Isaiah Parker was before Kip Keller for sure. So he was third, which means Kip was fifth, sixth, fifth. Hang on. Here we go. Let me pull it back up. It's hilarious that we actually, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Kip, Kip went to Austin fifth. Yeah. yeah. Didn't see Isaiah going third. Um, third. yeah, but that, that is what Dallas needed though. Like they needed it no matter what Dallas is always going to go attacking here. It's funny. Cause uh, okay. when we go into the draft, we're told like, you don't guess at who they're going to pick. Mm-hmm. Like that's, they, they don't want you to do that. So I don't guess at players. I, I make formulated, educated, specific guesstimations on the field of where they're going to go. And I remember and, the day of you were like, Dallas is going to attack here. And I was like, damn it. Cause I've in my head, yeah. I've been trying to think like, well, Justin Chase about to get out of there at some point, a college pick could fill his role by the time he leaves, you know, if it's not in January. And yeah. so I was like, Kip Keller can play right back. He's done it. But then once they picked Isaiah Parker, it all yeah. made sense to me, but that's totally different thinking than what you're saying right now that they wanted an attacker. I wasn't thinking that. Yeah. Think about it this way. Like, so that team has always been like forward thinking, right? So Pepe's gone, Frank O'Hara, like not, not the greatest of numbers that he's put out for them, 14 goals and and two assists and and 50 appearances. Like that's marginal at best for a big name signing, right? Or what's supposed to be a big name signing. Jesus Ferrer is not going to be your nine. And so then like, I kind of, I kind of went like mentally, where are you? where are the thoughts next? Like what's the future of Justin Che, like Paxton Pomichol's there, Brandon Cervania, Edwin Surreal, like w- what's going to happen. They re-signed Ima Tumasi at outside back. So like, mm. and you, and you have Ryan Hollingshead who plays every position on the planet, including water boy and goalkeeper, right? Like the kid can do no wrong. Um, but I, for me, like within the midfield and the back line, like you could make an argument for like a big name coming in, at outside back, which FC Dallas got Nanu and they did that. I I think they did that on the day before on Monday, um, from Porto, but otherwise it was always going to be an attacking player. Um, at least in my opinion, I I thought that was one of the easier ones to pick out personally. Um, Isaiah Parker coming before anybody else. That was a little interesting to me. The only reason that I'm not that surprised is, and here's a fun one for you is the Ben Bender pick was done two days prior. Remind me what that is. First ben pick, was one. Right? Ben yeah. was one from Maryland. Charlotte already had that done. Okay. It, it, it was done. Um, th- we knew we knew the first pick, and we knew a couple of trades heading into the draft. Like when we're all sitting there, who's the number one pick going to be? We already knew. Like we, yeah. you know, it's like to the point. Like don't talk about Ben. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't show pictures of Ben. Don't talk about him. Like they just wanted it to be a full out surprise. Um, I actually felt like in terms of talent the right now, like talent's not the right word to use 
ready to play right now. Like the closest two people for me within the GA class were Kip and Roman. So mm-hmm. for self indication, I was pretty happy to see Roman go second. Cause it was funny when we were going through rehearsals, we were using Charlotte as the first pick as kind of like the dummy pick as the example, if you will, not who we actually thought was going to go there. And we just rotated through players. And then they'd ask me like in rehearsals, Oh, who's going here. And I kept going back to Roman and the producer came on and he's like, you do realize like he would be second or third in the depth chart. And I said, first of all, I'm fully aware of what he would be on the depth chart. (laughs) I just like the kid. And I think he's going to be a top three pick. So I I was happy that he came in through there, but Isaiah Parker is a, is a really good player. Got a tremendous amount of attacking talent. I think that's the easiest thing for everybody to see. I said this on air, but I want to go in more depth here. He's really green. Like you can see like mentally he understands the game, which is the most important thing. The execution lacks in a lot of areas, but I would say that's more so because of age and experience. So like he's not the biggest, you know, in terms of weight or tallest players, like some of that is going to come through the normal maturation process, right? Other stuff you can work in through the gym. He'll run at you a hundred miles an hour, but sometimes he doesn't need to do that. Mm-hmm. Like when I was watching their games, like I noticed a lot, he would run at guys at certain points in time and then look yeah. up and go over and go, Oh crap, nobody's yep. in the box and I have nowhere to go. Right. Like, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> bingo. So those are things that you have to learn as a player. I've actually said this during USL broadcasts, just because you can play a ball doesn't mean that you need to play a ball. Right. Like, um, I learned that the hard way as a center back through scouting, like, in high school, it was like, so cool to just like ping this ball 40 yards off the back line. Everybody clapped in high school and my Mm -hmm. club coach would be like, what the heck are you doing? Right, man. And so he quite rapidly realized it just because you can do something doesn't mean you need to do something. And I see that a lot in, in his play for Isaiah Parker, that he'll 100% be an outside attacking option. You know, he probably suits himself best at this point in time on the front line of a four, three, three, he's willing to work back defensively. A lot of people talk about turning him into an outside back. Never going to happen. He doesn't want it. No, it's not going to happen. It's that kid at this point in time in his life doesn't want to be there. I don't see the talent defensively at all in the near future to make Mm -hmm. that happen. Now, is that to say that a couple of years down the line that he's gotten better defensively and then is capable of making that transition? Maybe I I would probably say maybe as a stretch, but even the coaches that that have seen him the most, including his own coach, they don't think that defender is the best option for him. Yeah. He reminds me of Mark Segbers who Segbers is a much better naturally defensive player in general, but there's this vibe about Segbers and you know, someone like Des too, where it's like, they don't look like a defender, but they're just like such ballers that they're able to defend. Um, and so I was thinking maybe the same for Parker, but it sounds like not so much. Well, and the other thing about it is too, is that depending on the system and the coaches that you have respectfully, you can use that term defender quite lightly. I mean, yeah. look, dude, look, dude, I support Liverpool and how often does Trent Alexander Arnold get called out for his defending? I mean, he looked terrible against Arsenal yesterday um, in the FL cup and couldn't, couldn't do a single thing playing the ball in terms of distribution coming off the back line. But those guys, you know, um, Robbo Robertson is the same way. Like they're asked to attack so much. Hmm. I'm not saying they don't have to defend, but like modern day defending, depending on the system that you're in, it's not the defending that we know where the, you know, there's a clear cut line of back four, or you've got two center defenders. And if I'm playing left back, I've got a guy pinched over my right shoulder. And if I'm right back conversely over the left shoulder and you've got the support, a lot of it's downhill chasing yeah. guys, one-on-ones, pushing them into the corners, asking for support. So 
It's not the defending that we know in the traditional sense of the word. That's not saying they're not defending. It's just doing it in a different way. Yeah. Right. Like okay. depending, you know, it's Indiana Alfonso Davies is coming to mind too. He does the same kind of thing. bingo, right. It's the same kind of thing. And like, he's an attacker who can defend. There's a yeah. difference, right? Like Isaiah Parker helped defend within the system. He was not an attacker who could defend. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that's also, and to be clear here so that everybody understands, I'm not knocking the players. When you yeah. put a guy into a system like that, they're doing what they're told to do. They're not doing anything wrong. Yeah. And they succeeded in it. It's a good thing. It's just somewhere else. It's going to be different. And maybe it's not as successful. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to Kip Keller to Austin FC. This isn't like we were really scared about where Kip was going to go. Like sure. Noonan might bring Cincy back around and we think he will, but right now do we want Kip Keller going to a situation like that? He went to Austin instead and it seems like a nice place to land. He's ready. It sounded like you said. Yeah, he's ready. He'll be behind uh, Johan Romagna. And I, I think that's a good spot for him to be in Austin. Um, my depth chart for drafts, it's in big, bold red letters. It says defenders, colon, center back, then outside back. So it gave you an idea where my mind was that I, I figured they'd go with a center back or then move into an outside back spot. You know, they go with Kip Keller. Kip's a guy who physically and the like height and weight has made such tremendous strides just naturally. And he works hard, which is a good thing, but he's made so many strides there, which is such an awesome thing. There's a really cool picture that Kevin Kalish sent me via text. And it was, it was a picture of him, his first day on campus. He, he looks like a child That's literally. Hilarious. And then the next picture that he sent me was all of his guys that got invited to what they're calling the draft showcase, which for lack of better terminology is the combine. And it's, it's night and day. Like yeah. you can see it's the same person, but it's such a dramatic change that it, it was very, very difficult at a, you know, to, to go, wow, he, he's really made that many strides. Um, a 10 defensive player of the year. A lot of, a lot of people came out of the combine saying that he was the best player at the combine. Oh. And yeah, there's some fun stuff historically, which I, I got briefly into it was he actually grew up as like a six, eight type role, a setting midfielder. Hmm. And Anthony Pulis at the Academy level, when he was at St. Louis moved him to center back. And, um, when he got to train and sign the Academy contract with the first team, he was such a driven player and still is that he was like, okay, you know, you've got great feet. He was such a good defender in the midfield was the thought behind yeah. Anthony. And he said, you know, like he just was. the vi he was and, and with his height and his skill set, the ball at his feet and the fact that he could defend so well, Anthony just thought that he would be a better center back and Jesus, I mean, uh, ahead of his time, right. Driven, super competitive, uh, great family background, which is always a nice thing. Mm -hmm. And he's someone in this center back class outside of, or even defenders outside of a med Longmire from the kid who came from UCLA that went to Nashville. Okay. Those two guys top two in terms of athleticism. Um, yeah, he's very instinctual. Like some guys just get it. Yeah. You know, like it's, there's an ebb and flow of the game. And when you watch his movements, like he just, he just slowly starts to shift into spots that he knows he needs to be in, like even before the play has made its way there. Right. Yeah. And, um, the biggest things that he was able to work on, I mentioned the physicality of it all. Some of that he can't control. It's just genes. Right. Yeah. But the biggest thing in terms of his play that he worked on was his distribution coming out of the back okay. where those instinctual plays that I talked about, 
you know, he would read it, go get stuck in, turn around, give the ball right back to the opposition. That was something that he really got himself into trouble on probably the first two years. And it got to a point in time, not a year and a half actually. And it got to a point in time where Kevin just sat down and was like, look, man, we, you have to get better here. Or you're never going to make it at any level. Forget mm-hmm. pro like college. You, you won't, you won't start for me. You know, it's not clean enough. You work too hard and do too many things. Right. That, um, to give it away this easily, it's not good. And so he got really good in that. And you know, the biggest, the biggest fault of his now is, um, it's funny. I, I kind of use the example for Isaiah Parker about like not doing something Kip's he's so good and has so much talent that like he'll win that tackle look up and try and spring the counterattack, And he doesn't need to, you know, <laughs> he'll hit that 50 yard ball in the air that catches Isaiah Parker running down into the channel. And I mentioned Parker will look over and go, no one's there. Like, yeah, Kip shouldn't have played him the ball, right? Like, <laughs> you don't need to ping those balls every single time. You know, sometimes you don't need to step on it, look on your left foot and hit that big sweeping 30, 40 yard ball to switch fields or 50 yard ball, whatever it is. Like sometimes the easiest and best thing to do is right in front of you. And that's kind of everybody's biggest takeaway of what he needs to work on. And, uh, Oh, look, who's calling. <laughs> nice Mike. Yeah. Last time um, it was Tyler. <laughs> yeah. I'd already talked to that idiot earlier. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing that he has to work on. And that's a really good thing. You know, you figure that nine out of 10 intangibles, are already checked. And the thing that you're asking a kid to do more of is basically do less of something that he's capable of doing. Yeah. That's awesome. The mistakes that he's making are on the opposite end of the field, not getting him team into trouble. That's a very good thing for Kip Keller. Completely agree. And it all matches up with what I've seen for sure. Let's talk about Patrick Schulte. This is a guy like probably a year ago. I didn't think anyone at SLU was going to surpass his value in a draft like this. Uh, but here he is the third SLU player to go. Part of it's his position, but you know, some of it is that there's a lot of good American goalkeepers out there. Perhaps. What do you think? The latter portion for sure. There's a lot of good American goalkeepers. I would actually say that of all the goalkeepers in this draft class, he's probably got the most to prove, believe it or not. Okay. Um, He's extremely talented. There's no doubt about that. But I mentioned how Kip has like nine out of the 10 boxes would say that he's already checked nine out of 10 is what I should say Mm. for, for Patrick Schulte. All of his boxes are like half checked. Huh? So the talent is there can you now reel it in and and show the consistency factor? Like I saw a lot of organization out of him, but like some of the, a lot of the goals that I was watching him give up, I'm like, man, that's your fault. Dude. What are you doing, man? You know, it's, it's kind of those head turners of, Oh my God, how did he just make that save? Oh my (laughs) God, what are you doing? And, but that's also youth. Like he's young. And especially in terms of goalkeepers, like everybody judges goalkeepers so quick or let me rephrase that everybody puts goalkeepers or tries to judge them on the same platform that field players are. And you can't Mm -hmm. like, there are so many different things that goalkeepers have to do more regularly than field players do. You know, the communication aspect, they talk all game long, or at least the best ones do. And the organizational side of that has to be spot on. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to communicate with every single player in front of you in unison at a given moment and not screw up and then go perform on your own. Like that's, that's a lot to ask. And I think he just gets mixed signals in there. So he's got semi decent feet. 
not great, not poor. He's got ridiculous shot stopping ability that at certain points in time, he's just out of position and can't make the easy saves. He's good distribution with his hands. Sometimes he just throws the ball away. Interesting. So, so those are for me, like when I watched him, he was, he's not a project, but he's got a long way to go from being a number one. He's the type of guy he will tremendously benefit from MLS next pro he'll get the reps, you know, he'll, he'll maintain the confidence. He'll be the guy at that level and work his way through first team training camps and preseasons and stuff like that as well. And down the line, your hopes is that three, four years that he breaks through and and becomes the guy. Took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say exactly that, that maybe Columbus crew two is is a nice spot for him. Perfect. Bingo. I'll take it. Simon Betcher to Vancouver Whitecaps. Okay. Uh, I don't know if he has this in him, but the fact that Brian White just went to Vancouver and did what he did, uh, sounds like a decent place for Simon to be learning at the very least. Right. Yeah. And I think the best thing for Brian white in that analogy is like, Brian was kind of on the down and outs, right? He wasn't like, he wasn't at a high point in his career. In my opinion, you know, it's not the Brian white that we saw a couple of years ago. And, um, when I talked to Kevin Kalish about this guy, here's what I said to Kevin. I said, I I know what he is, but I don't know what he is Hmm. because he's your a 10 offensive player of the year an all American first team Herman trophy, semifinalists, like the guy is obviously well-regarded within his own conference and nationally. He, he doesn't have blazing speed, but he's quick enough. Hmm. He's not ridiculous in the air, but he can finish in the air. Yeah. His, his, his strikes are good enough that like he puts them on frame, but like doesn't score all the time. And Kevin said to me that Simon's biggest issue was efficiency that he was always in the right place, right time. He's a guy who's got that natural goal scoring ability, but he didn't score all of the goals that he should, hmm. that he needs to get up to like 20, 23% in terms of his finishing capabilities, you know, one out of four, one out of five in that area in order to be relevant, he will score goals. Like yeah. there's no doubt about that. He's going to score and he's going to put himself in the right spot. He's just got to be more efficient. And if you watch him play, the, my most favorite thing about him from a scouting perspective was how well he played in small spaces and in combination play with everybody else around him. That that's a very difficult thing for a lot of guys to do. I, another GA player, uh, Aseni Buddha Buddha is a guy who's got blazing speed. He'll take you on one-on-one like Isaiah Parker will he'll run you into the corner whips in great service. And he's gotten much better at the combination play still wouldn't say that he's great. Simon is great at combination play, you know, and a two person system. Like he, if you play a four, three, three, it's gotta be a very advanced front three line for him to be successful. Um, a four, four, two, 100%, a four, four, one, one. Yeah. Like you'd have a really attack minded false nine in that situation out of Simon, or you'd probably play him as the point man and play off of him. And you've got really quick outside mids. Um, he's not going to be the lead guy. Like he's not going to be your number one, nine. Who's going to be the point guy. Who's going to score double digit goals, whether it's in MLS or USL. I I actually think that like respectfully, he could end up having a tremendous USL career and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, same. He's also the guy that like at MLS next pro he gets, cleaner in his play and just, you can't drop him from the roster, right? He comes on 30 minutes to go in a game 
and the defense is tired and he's so good at playing with everybody else and picking off combinations that like he'll be able to carry the efficiency and the stamina late into games when he comes on because everybody's going to be tired and he's just so clean. Like that's, yeah. if he cleans it up, he, he, he can become one of those guys that you rely upon a lot. Yeah. I think of him as like best case scenario is he kind of learns at different levels along the way and becomes Miguel Barry, who everyone's excited about next year. There you go. Yeah. It's not a bad shot. Miguel's quicker, but, but yeah, I get the idea behind it. Yeah. 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 Just developmentally. I mean, um, but no, when you first said that he kind of needs someone to combine with, I was like, wait a minute. No, but yeah, I cannot see him being like a lone striker up top in a four, one, four, one, or something like that. It made total sense once you explained it. And I really appreciate that kind of breakdown. Um, that's good, good, good stuff. Uh, Jacqueline to Orlando city. Now this is a guy who probably could be alone up top, right? Yeah. So Jack's interesting. It, I talked about the, the natural goal scoring ability, like of Simon that he is going to score. Jack's going to score a lot more. Jack's more efficient on the ball. He's, he's proved it for quite some time with lesser chances, right? with lesser chances. Um, <laughs> it would make the argument that up until this year with lesser players around him, respectfully, mm-hmm. like the attacking talent at Notre Dame wasn't that great until they got the, the young kids they did this year. Um, Orlando needed attacking help. Nani, Daryl DK, Chris Mueller, like all gone. Um, they've brought in a couple of players, but nothing on the attacking front. So Jack's one of those guys that when he's on the field, you see he's dangerous and you see that he's got a tremendous engine and a great mental attitude, like always willing to work and put that in talent wise. Like he's not, he's not ridiculous. Like he's not the guy that like blows you out of the water. Like you don't watch him in a game and go, Oh my God, this kid's incredible. Right. But you watch him and go, that kid's annoying. That kid's good. That kid's in the right spaces, the right, he's right spots, down, right time. Yeah. He wait. wears them down. You know, <laughs> uh, one of the biggest things assets is probably the best word to use out of the scouting from other coaches going against him this season, all the way to the college cup, as well as scouts and his own coach going into the combine is that because Jack's willing to do the work, the versatility that he brings to a team, you, you really can't put a metric on it because you know, you can, you can play him in a four, two, three, one, you can play him in a four, four, two, they can play in the middle of a four, three, three. Like he'll be the lone guy up there by himself that when everybody drops back defensively and you ping a ball off the back line and you need him to hold it up, he'll do it. You need him to beat a player and then run at someone. He'll do it. You want to put a ball into space. He'll chase it down and then either hold it up and wait for support or run at someone. He can also do it in combination though, too. He's probably like an eight across the board at every single thing that he does, but he is an eight. No doubt about it. Like some guys could be tens in certain areas and sixes here. You will never question his ability to go out and play and put forth the effort or how much he has in the tank or his consistency within the box. Like he's going to do all of that. Yeah. How high of a level is that going to be at MLS? That's the biggest question. Yeah. Yeah. It, he played with the Scott Gallagher U 23s this summer. And I, and that was like a stacked team in some ways as far, as far as college players go and former Scott Gallagher players, but his impact wasn't quite what I thought it was. And, uh, yeah, that's where I was like cemented into that. Yeah, he's an eight across the board. I agree with you there. Um, Chandler Vaughn, he's a left back that was yep. uh, drafted by LA Galaxy. This is one that I didn't know much about. I'm really curious what you what you thought. So 
Um, very balanced defender. Yeah. Chandler got put in a lot of situations the way that they played that he was, he would attack, but he didn't attack a bunch. He is, he's good enough at understanding the back, like when it would rotate into a three because of the way that they attacked that he knew when to attack, like where the spots were going to come from. Isaiah uh, Parker was in front of him a lot. And depending on the way that they lined up and where the movements were coming from, he got put into a lot of situations where there was a lot of space in front and behind him. That's not his fault. And so because of that would feel that the breakdowns scouting wise that probably came his way were probably not as kind as they could have been. He can't control everything that was going on around him, right? And like, mm-hmm. if, if damned if he did, and damned if he didn't. Almost like if he sat back too much, oh, he didn't step up into the space enough. Oh, he stepped too far into the space. Um, to me, he's a project player who has the ability to probably surpass a lot of the expectations put forth in front of him. Like, I think a lot of people will probably look right off the bat and go, "He'll be an MLS next pro for a while," or "He'll go be a USL player." actually think that he has the talent to be an MLS player, whether or not he achieves that is another story. Like I like his distribution. He's got pretty decent speed, um, a very balanced player. I wouldn't say that he's great in any particular area that is a serviceable career guy at the professional level. But again, kind of like the Jacqueline comments, like what is that level? How high is that level going to be? Like he's at a good level now, but you know, that's one of the things where, people always look and go, he made it to the league. You know, he got drafted. He's got this. No, I mean, that's great. That's basically a glorified tryout, especially at his draft status was six, 60th oh, for 66, 60, 66, something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I know it was the galaxy's last pick that you're going to get out for him, like what he wants to put into it. If he's willing to work overtime and stay at trainings and do the film work and go not the extra mile, like that kid's got to run extra marathons Mm. to get up to speed and stay at that speed. But there are a lot of players that made careers in MLS four, five, six teams, sometimes one team playing 15 years for guys like that. Like there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to be the number one defender in this league and score eight goals and have nine assists or whatever at outside back spot in order to be relevant. Like there's something to be said or for, for that consistency in a, in a player in that position that like you can always rely upon him. Cause usually a lot of the great rosters around this league are built around guys like that. Yeah. I think of him as a very responsible player as you were alluding to. And, uh, it almost feels like just like he's a bit of a lottery ticket for any team that drafted him. I'm a little sad that it's the galaxy because yeah, they may give him some shots, but I'm not sure how much of a shot he's going to get, but his next club, if he lands with the right club, he could become like a favorite player. That's just so reliable that you can't not play him in the, in the, in the 11. And so that kind of thing, a guy can work his way up slowly. So that's one to watch and never forget. You got to always check in on him and, and we'll see where he is in his life. And he could pop real, up at any real minute. quick. Yeah. Just to add on to that. I would, yeah. I don't disagree with what you said. The one thing I would say about the galaxy to me is the biggest issue is that LA galaxy. They have two issues. Their back line is in shambles hmm. uh, specifically at the center back spot. And true. They don't know who their goalkeeper is. They do like Jonathan bond. Right. But like you have bond, you have Klinsman and you have Eric Lopez and Justin von seek, all of which are really talented guys. None of which at any point in time for the galaxy, have I gone, 
that's their number one. Mm. And so they've got a lot of rotation and goal and center back pairings that don't really mix up. Daniel Sarah's just left. Like, I don't think he was the number one guy back there anyway, but like, you know, last year going into, and I'll see them in training camp in about two weeks last year, going into training camp, Marcus for was getting a lot of repetitions. That kid's got a lot of talent, but like that ain't the answer at this point in time. And so that's probably another thing you have to look at the fact that like the goalkeeping spot and the two center back spot, three really important roles on the field in terms of organization and leadership roles. You don't really have that for the galaxy at this point in time. Interesting. Okay. Well, maybe that's a little more exciting than I was giving it credit for, uh, chase niece to FC Dallas. It was the Kip Keller pairing, right? So tell me more about chase as well. So chase is another one. I would actually respectfully, I, I don't think there's two things to it. Chase doesn't get enough credit. Cause everybody looked at Kip. Let's say sure. that I would also say that chase is probably someone similar to Chandler that I think he could be a career guy within MLS who starts off as, you know, a championship player, MLS next pro player, and then works his way up or works his way in. He could also real quickly become like the number two or three on a depth chart that could bounce back and forth from right center back to left center back, even though he plays on the left-hand side and, and then stay within a team or bounce around teams. Um, the conversations around chase were like kind of the same thing about Chandler, but also you heard some glimpses of Kip were like really good decision-making at times, Yeah, right? Like he's got the physical presence, didn't win all the headers. Um, it's funny. Cause I, I mentioned some of the decision on the draft, the decision-making that were, that people alluded to that were a downfall in certain areas for Kip Keller. A lot of that actually came because of chase where he was covering so much and chase was getting exploited in certain areas. Again, take that for what it is. Like maybe the outside back was too high. And so when you scout, you have to be very careful about what you're putting on a player because yeah, maybe he got pulled over and was out of position Was somebody in front of him out of position. Like mm -hmm. scouts need to be real careful when they're throwing words around. So I did see him out of position a lot. I saw him getting covered a lot, but there are other times where I looked and I went, man, that's a really good tackle or, Oh, he read that really, really well. Yeah. Good, good mentality that that's not an issue for him. Um, it, you have to be really careful with players coming out of college where a, they're too big for their britches, not the case with Kip Keller or B they're not willing to put in the work. Not the case with chase. Like chase is willing to work. Chase knows that he's not the number one guy and yet still stays after practice, pushes himself. Like, He's willing to put in the the drive to try and give himself the chance. Can he execute? Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, and and that goes to what I said about Jack Lamb with the U twenty threes. I wanted to make sure I said that that's the lack of production wasn't necessarily his fault, and I would never put that all on him. There's yeah. just something else to add to the the stack. And then you've also heard people who don't know as well as you, uh, Devin, that. Kip Keller had trouble with his decision-making and, and you said it, but I wanted to highlight that people, you may read about Kip that he had bad decision-making, but um, as you alluded to Devin, he's improved that, right? That's something a that lot. was a problem and is probably not so much anymore. Yeah. And like, I'm going to give myself a little bit of credit on these comments because I've seen him so much, Yeah, but there are people who don't see him as much and are making a lot of comments about him. So just be careful watch him, you know, just go watch That's the biggest thing. Like judge for yourself. Nine times out of 10, when people tell me like what a player is or what a team is, I'm gonna go find out on my own anyway. Like yeah. uh, I, I just, I, I trust myself yeah. better, you know, like, sorry. Like I don't, there are a few people around this country in terms of like breaking down players and teams that I trust, like, you know, 
Taylor's one of them. Like I'll text Taylor and ask him something and he'll tell me, and there's a St. Louis shout out, right? Like I trust him immensely because I, I think he's very smart and he reads the game. Well, you know, um, there are a lot of people that I hear a lot of white noise or they'll say something like I'll get in an interview with them or like behind closed doors, be having a beer and they'll bring something up and I'll go, yeah, well, what about this? And they're like, Oh yeah, I didn't really think of that. And I'm like, well, you freaking should, you know, like <laughs> yeah. before you start slinging mud around and talking about these kids. And, um, I and think to that's add the to that to add to that, like, I agree. Like every time you're like, Hey, I don't know about this. Or people are saying this, I don't know about that. My ears perked up, perk up because often you'll bring something up. And once you're confident enough to like say that someone might be wrong about something, t- odds are you're right. I think yeah. the most perfect example lately that cemented this for me, I was really high on Hartford at the beginning of last season. Good luck. They with looked, that. they looked like well disciplined and they were winning games or drawing games at the at most for the most part. And I was high on them. And you were like, Phil, no, <laughs> back off it, on that one, buddy. <laughs> Don't do it. You were put right. The well, put the well vodka back. <laughs> You're better than that. No, yeah. I mean, look, man, like I, I would also say this. I want to be wrong, to be honest. Like if I'm wrong, that means people are succeeding. That's true. Yeah. You know, we, look, we were, at, yeah. we were at the winter meetings and we interviewed, um, Jordan Farrell and, you know, we did, we did the, the, the two or three hours, whatever it was alive. And when he walked in before he even sat down with us, I was like, Oh, here he is. The man that proved me wrong the best this year or something like that. But I, I'm not just like BSing people. Like I, I don't mind being wrong because that means other people have been right. And yeah. that means that people are progressing. So like if I'm talking about a player or a coach or a team and things prove me wrong, that means all the points that I brought up usually got better, right? Like, Oh, this team, you know, centrally, they've really had, they've really struggled playing, excuse me. They've really troubled themselves in playing out of the back and, you know, haven't been able to connect from their two center backs to the six and eight. And so if you watch, they build from the outside, they win three, four games in a row down in the trenches. I probably look like an idiot to some people. No, you may look at it that way. The other side of that is, is from a scouting perspective, they were bad in those areas and they just got better, which is awesome. That means people mm-hmm. are succeeding, right? Like that's a really good thing. Um, you know, I, did I want Phoenix to lose? Of course not. Of course I didn't want Phoenix to lose at the USL level, right? Like I didn't want, like, I would say the only thing like in, when it comes to college, I don't make those comments or predictions as much guys are a lot younger. Yeah. I give them the benefit of the doubt a lot more. Like I, I was going to say this before we jumped in, they are kids. Mm-hmm. Like if you go back and listen to USL games, I'm like, if, if Louisville was playing sporting Kansas city too, I'm harsher on the Louisville guys. Usually. Yeah. Like what am I getting out of breaking down a 16 year old kid and running him into the ground? Like, I'll be honest. That's not to say I'm backing off these guys, but like, there's something to be said for the growth process at every single level. And to understand that, like, yeah, not everybody needs to support Hartford. Yeah. Right. They're great. I love them. I love them. I just, I didn't see it, you know? Yeah. And you were right. Um, I think that's it, man. I want to kind of finish up with, first of all, thanking you for coming on this. You said you have what, 14, 17 days off. This is your off season right now. You're the dude. You're the, 
for the record, I turned down. No, I said I'm doing MLS preseason, which I am. I turned down MLS preseason games so that I could have a break. You are the only person I'm talking to professionally from the MLS draft until my MLS preseason game. You're the only one, dude. I appreciate it, man. I really yeah, do. Man. I got to make For it up sure. to you next time I'm in Florida or at least send you something. I think oh, I, have I sent you anything before. Never sent me anything. That's okay. Right, I got to wrap uh, it up. I would rather I know what have... I'm sending you. Okay. I was going to say, I'd rather have something in person, but like given the world that we live in, who knows when that's going to happen. Right? Yeah, I know. I know. Um, no dude, for sure. Like I'm, you know, I'm super grateful for the effort that you put in, you work, you care. That means a lot, bro. You know, it yeah. means a lot to people. Appreciate that. But, uh, you know, in whatever is left of your 17 days, what's the next plan? Like I, what CONCACAF champions league, I imagine pre season yeah. for MLS. Yeah. MLS preseason champions league coming up. Um, I am in talks with someone about something. Mm. I, I can't say it. That's not that I don't want to. I just, I don't know if I'm going to get it. So, mm -hmm. um, if it happens, you'll be the first snow outside of my family. I promise. Um, yes. fingers crossed. Cause I was actually in discussions in discussion, in discussions. <laughs> well, is I that think both work? Does both do both work? As long um, as you've had more than one discussion. I was communicating. Fun. I was communicating with them. There we go. Uh, <laughs> I was communicating with them in January and February of 2020 before the pandemic and had things set up hmm. in conjunction with someone else. Um, and unfortunately COVID hit and the rest is history. People stopped traveling. The world kind of shut down. Now the world's opening up. Budgets are increasing again. People are traveling a lot more. So I'm hoping that this comes my way. Um, otherwise, yeah. We'll see you at USL in first week of March. Mm -hmm. I told you coming on, just got a, just got a nice little text that my contract is about to be finalized. So <laughs> we'll see how that works out. And, um, yeah, I'll be on college again this year. Roles expanding further. Excited about that. Some more studio stuff for ACC satellite radio doing that again. Uh, Sirius XM satellite radio. There's a Good. very decent chance that that role within Sirius XM FC is going to be progressing as well. So Good. Um, that was cool. yeah, there's, there's a lot going on, man. I can't, uh, I'm, I consider myself one of the fortunate ones. I can't complain. Well, fortunate, but you work for it, man. So thanks, thanks again. Appreciate, Appreciate everything you. you do, man. And, uh, we'll talk to you again as soon as possible. Thanks, man. Uh, all jokes aside, it's two 38. I'm going to have a beer. Please do. <laughs> yeah. See you, man. Yeah.